Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Somehow, Miller ruined Skype. Yeah. Which makes complete sense. He's ruining this podcast right now. He's not even here. (laughs) I guess he's ruining it less than he would be if he was here. Yeah, I saw on Facebook he went to a zoo today. A zoo. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, where did they go? I don't know. He's standing on a dock. Yeah, I think I saw him on the dock as well. And took a picture of the manatee that kind of looks like a penis. All right, well, I guess I got to go unfriend Noah on Facebook. So I don't <laughs> see that by mistake. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I just don't know who made this and was like, yeah, it doesn't look like a penis at all. Uh, I think sometimes uh, artists and other types are just assholes and they just make things look like penises and then they go, (laughs) what? It's a manatee. You don't see a manatee? What's wrong with you? What do you see? (laughs) It's like, it's got flippers. Like, bro, that is is a penis with flippers. That's what that is. Well, I'm going to go on record and say, I don't actually know what a penis with flippers looks like. So I can't confirm or deny what you're saying. It looks like what Noah is standing next to in this picture. Yeah. And I'm actively avoiding seeing that picture. So. <laughs> uh, this, this whole situation got upsetting quick. You know what's upsetting? POWs. What? You mean ones that are abandoned in Vietnam? Yes. That's an odd thing to randomly bring up. Uh, somehow it's the main topic of our... Swayze September episode for this week. Yes. Um. Yeah, I don't know. How do you how do you <laughs> effortlessly segue between manatee penis into Swayze September? Well, how I would have handled it, and this is just me, would have not brought up manatee penises at all. Just would have left that right there. Nobody needed to talk about it. Would have been fine. That's the difference between me and you. I'm I'm looking for that manatee penis. Uh, Download that we're we're gonna get. We're gonna get that. When we do we tag this manatee penis, somebody will be like, yeah. oh, "I want to hear a podcast about that." And we'll recommend <laughs> listening to our POW discussion. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into it. This week's accidental, but now official, uh, Sweezy September episode. Um, I was like, "Yeah, let's do these two war movies." Not realizing Sweezy was in one of them. Yep. So, it just keeps the trend going. I trend you uh, last week's episode and then this week's episode. Yeah. All right. Both have Swayze, and it's like, well, now we have to. I mean, we did, we're not doing Slater September this year. Might as well do Swayze September. Well, yeah, and uh, we 
we could probably get a couple of years of Swayze September out of this <laughs> and avoid hitting the, the dark patches of Christian Slater's career. Because <laughs> we were scraping uh, the bottom of the barrel last year. The ultimate has to find a movie with Patrick Swayze and Christian Slater in it. Well, then the podcast would just naturally come to an end. Yeah, of course. Sure, like, people would tune in October 1st of that year and be like, what happened? Like, no, no, we're done. We did it. Uh, Doug, do you want to tell us about Uncommon Valor? Uncommon Valor. So, it's 1972. The Vietnam War is coming to an end, and a bunch of soldiers are left behind during the final days of the battle. Cut forward uh, several years. I don't remember exactly, but we pick up with Gene Hackman's character, who is the father of one of the soldiers that was left behind and hasn't been found. And he is determined to track down his son. By about 1982, he finally believes he knows where his son is. Uh, he tries to get the uh, U.S. government to go in and save his son, but they do not want to. So he puts together a, a ragtag group of guys who were uh, served with his son or are otherwise connected, using the money of uh, one of his one of the kids that is still missing. His father's like a rich businessman of some kind, so they're going to use his money to fund this. It's Robert Sack using his Unsolved Mysteries money. That's exactly what it is. It's like really nondescript when they're in his business office. I feel like the, the script just said business office and nobody bothered to like expand on it day of. But, He's uh, good at business. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so they go in. They're... They have a perfect plan that couldn't possibly go wrong until the CIA intercepts them and confiscates all their weapons. So they have to, like, dig up, like, whatever weapons they can get by uh, making a deal with some former drug dealer turned <laughs> scumbag. I just um, love that the CIA shows up like, we're confiscating all these weapons. Now, we're going to trust that you're going to drive yourself to the airport, hop on a plane and go home. All right, let's drive away, it's, boys. Yeah. Well, well, there's some logic flaws in the film. It's not perfect. That would be one of the bigger ones. <laughs> um, anyways, they so they go in. The mission looks like it's going to go wrong. It finally goes right. They're able to save some POWs that were being held in Laos, but a couple of the volunteer soldiers die. And eventually they they leave with four POWs only to find out that uh, Gene Hackman's son actually died back in like shortly after the end of the war. But he's the one that saved Robert Stack's son. So that's why he's still alive and in the camp. So what did we think of Uncommon Valor? A uh, pretty good movie. Um, I... Like, I, the cast of characters is great. You've got Fred Ward as, like, a, a, a quote-unquote tunnel rat who has PTSD from the war, and he's trying to figure out how to deal with that. You have uh, is, is Tex Cobb, is that his name? The guy that, that plays Sailor, who's just this, like, mm -hmm. fucking, like, street brawler who clearly has not stayed in shape since the end of the war, but <laughs> he's there. Uh, Swayze, of course, is like a a younger guy that they've brought in to help train them, somebody with more recent military experience. And we learn his backstory throughout the movie. And I thought like all these, all these guys are good actors in this, except for also Reb Brown is there. And 
well, he was he was pretty well known at the time. So let's leave it at that. Um, I like that you're like good actors and red brown. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. So all that worked. I the whole like middle of the film, which is where they're training and getting to work together as a team and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's some issues in there. I enjoyed watching it all, but there's some tonal issues. And then the end, like setting aside like some of the logic flaws that I'm sure we'll get into. I loved how dark the movie was at the end. I loved that it wasn't an eighties action movie where they storm in, save the day, walk away unscathed and, you know, get exactly what their goal was accomplished without having to pay any kind of a price. So, yeah, that's that to me, that ending really helped save the movie. That was kind of like pretty good through most of it, but it's much better when you start looking at through the, the lens of like Gene Hackman being the lead character, not, not saving his son. Like you just kind of assume he's going to throughout the whole movie because that's what happens in action movies. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I really liked this movie. Um, I guess the tonal issues didn't bother me as much. Um, I guess like from my perspective, it's like they're, they're sort of doing the training because they've set up like an exact replica of what the camp, how the camp is laid out and stuff. And they're running all these drills. So they know how to get in and out effectively. So that when they get there, it'll just be super easy for them to, to kind of do it. Um, but I feel like Swayze's character is there to sort of balance out maybe the tonal issues you had. Because once they get together, I feel like they all just sort of, I don't want to say not take it seriously because they do. But I mean, there's a lot more sort of goofing around with each other and stuff, which I feel like Swayze's character is there to be like, you're not taking this seriously, you know, blah, 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 going, you know, just getting really strict on them. With him, sort of, we find out he's never been in combat before. So he's, this is going to be like a first for him. And I feel like their sort of attitude is like, look, this is how we deal with the stress. We kind of joke around or whatever. But when it comes time to get serious, like then, you know, it's game on. Um, And I feel like Swayze's character was there to sort of not be the audience, but just sort of be that character that's like, why are you guys not taking it seriously? And them sort of giving him shit about it until they learn what his ultimate backstory is and why he's actually there. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it was just the execution that wasn't quite perfect for me. Mm-hmm. Um, where I yeah, think, I can like, see some of that. You know, like, we, we kind of get these, like, ongoing moments of him, like, getting in their face and Gene Hackman trying to calm him down, reminding him that these are, you know, veterans. They're not new recruits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it could have maybe played out a little slower and had more drama surrounding it. And maybe a fewer, like, fewer montages of them training and doing these, like, games and more actual time spent on the drama, more dialogue amongst the characters. Um, Because when the reveal comes with Swayze's character, which is that, you know, he's never been in combat. He was discharged because of an incident that doesn't really make him a good guy or a bad guy. I don't think most people would look at it. And it's always like, well, yeah, he's, he's well-trained, but he's never done this before. What the hell is he doing here? When the reveal comes that one of the people that's missing in action is his father. That's 
that's a really interesting reveal because you've got, you know, the two kind of lead guys, it's their sons that are, they're trying to retrieve and the rest of the guys, it's sort of their brothers that they're trying to retrieve. Right. If you think about it mm. as like, not, not actually brothers, but like they're military brothers. Yeah. So to have then a character who comes in from a completely different perspective saying, well, no, it's my dad. It's, I think it helps flesh out the drama of the film and it helps explain how tragic it is the idea that these guys are stuck in this camp where it's like it's affecting people on all these different levels and all these different generations mm-hmm. so i would have liked to seen that explored more and instead once that reveal comes it's just sort of like oh okay now we all accept him and now we all move forward you know yeah yeah i guess i can see that point it is just like a complete turn like yeah literally because gene hackman's the character is the one that yells it from like the the hilltop or whatever. Yeah. And you can see them all just kind of look down at them, look back up and then look, sort of look at the ground and be like, Oh, okay. All right. And then they just pick them up and then sort of go back into, to doing whatever they were doing. Yeah. Cause the whole, like the whole Patrick Swayze character is really interesting. Um, probably the most interesting character in the movie, because I like that when he, when the time comes to get to battle, he's he is the only one that hasn't experienced this before, and he reacts accordingly. He has a lot of trouble dealing with it when people start like dying around him. That's a very difficult yeah. situation to be in, and they actually portray that, which is, yeah. Again, this is an '80s action movie. The idea that when people die, the people around them give a shit that they're dead is kind of foreign, you know. Mm. But I, I think it's. It's all there. So again, I would have, I would have loved to have spent more time getting to know that character leading up to those moments at the end where you are seeing him kind of shocked and realizing that the training isn't everything because training can only go so far and you need that experience. Mm. All that stuff is it's very interesting, and I just I would have loved to have seen it explored even more. Sure, um, I had a really good point, and I completely forgot what it was. Oh well, that's not helpful at all. No. About Swayze, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the film, though, like from my perspective, there's a lot of that stuff. I would have liked to spend more time with the Fred Ward character as well, getting to know mm-hmm. him and to understanding his PTSD. And like, there's some really interesting moments in this film, like where he's when they when they go to the the fake village that they've built with Robert Stack's money, and they they've got it all set up, and then they they finally like they're trying to make themselves feel like they're in it right like they're they're trying to immerse themselves in this life and as that happens we see he actually at one point like escapes like not escapes but leaves the bunker and is like sleeping in a foxhole that's really fucking interesting like the idea that yeah. when he as he's you know starts sleeping in army cots again and is eating vietnamese food and all that kind of stuff it gradually it, it breaks him in a way and I feel like at some point they just kind of dropped that storyline. And I think it would be really interesting to explore it. Yeah, there was some interesting like aspects of this that I never really thought about. That I guess doesn't even have to be a main plot point or something that they bring up. But when they start training, they exclusively eat Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. And they tell them because when they're running through the jungle, they don't want them to smell like Americans. Yeah. Which is an interesting idea and something I've never really thought about before. And I'm like, oh, I guess that would make a little bit of sense. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that if you're in a 
a low Asian jungle and all of a sudden you can smell greasy Chicago style pizza on someone's breath that stands out quite a bit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, and it's, it, you're right. It's not something I've ever thought about. And I think the, the best war movies out there are the ones that bring up that stuff that you've never thought about that you, you know, mm-hmm. that are able to add that. And that is, that adds that layer of drama to it. That's, it's not just an action movie. It's not glorifying war. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's telling a real story about things that have really happened. Not, not exactly a true, not a true story, but it's exploring aspects of the real world through a fictional story. And that's interesting. Yeah. From what I read, this is apparently the first, and I don't know, this is a hundred percent true, but, um, the first, like we have to go rescue POWs movies that sort of became a trend in the eighties. It wasn't, there's, there was one Chuck Norris one. I think that came before this. I think Chuck Norris did like three. One of them was before this, and the other ones just missing in action was after this. Yeah. But yeah. Well, the, the whole thing is really interesting when you read up on it a little bit, and you're like, like from the end of the war until the early 80s, there was air quotes like rumors about like these soldiers missing in action. And then pop culture grabbed a hold of it and started telling these stories, and people became convinced it was true. And I like, I did a little bit of research and it's like, I can't find any evidence that it's true, but there are certainly people who believe it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, the, yeah. and the, you know, for whatever they're worth, there was congressional hearings on it and stuff. And you're like, well, that's weird. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. You didn't realize when we started this, that this was a uh, John Milius production too. Um, which as soon as I read that, like I saw his name, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. You have to help me out a little bit there. Uh, John Milius, he uh, probably most famously directed uh, Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Schwarzenegger, but he wrote and produced a lot of stuff. Um, he came up with, like, I think he went to, actually went to school with, like, with George Lucas and Spielberg and Coppola okay. or whatever. And they were all like friends. And apparently, the rumor, or the rumor, the, cause there's like a, there's a documentary called Milius, which I would recommend everybody watch, uh, cause it's fascinating. Among his group of filmmakers, like I said, Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola, all them, everybody pointed to him and said, he's the one who's going to make it. Oh, interesting. And he has such a loud personality that it kind of, burned a lot of bridges for him so he didn't quite have the career that uh, everybody thought he was going to but then he's still been involved with like some amazing movies um so he helped i believe co-write uh, apocalypse now with coppola um the big uh the big uh in uss indianapolis story from jaws apparently he wrote he wrote like that section and it was even longer it was this huge, long, like, you know, whatever. And they gave it to Robert Shaw. And he's like, this is like 10 pages. Like, I can't, I can't do 10 pages. <laughs> so then Shaw had to like edit it down to make it work. But um, like I say, he directed Conan. And then, yeah, he's been involved with all kinds of other stuff. Apparently he was a big gun nut. It would like bring guns to set. So it's stuff like that, that people eventually, like studios were eventually like, we can't, can't have this dude just running around with rifles and shit on set so it's it's interesting though because if he's if he's producing this and 
they they are telling this story in a more dramatic way than any of the other versions really do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to talk about another one in a few minutes, but we already did Missing in Action another time. You know, this story that this pop culture decided to tell over and over again about super soldiers going in to save the, the lost POWs. It, um, this is the only version I've seen that treats it with this level of uh, respect, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. It's mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah. this is an action movie, but there are moments in it where you're like, like at one point, the Gene Hackman character is like getting super angry about, what, I think when some of the guys are ready to give up after they've had their weapons confiscated. And he's like, you know, no, God damn it, we're going in. And he's like, we're going to do this. We're going to save them. And he blurts out the line, like, and this time nobody will be able to question whether what we're doing is right. And it's such a telling moment because you've got this guy who has been on this mission to find his son for 10 years. But deep down, he's also struggling with the guilt of having of, of Vietnam itself and the idea that maybe you weren't necessarily the good guys in that war. But this time we get to be the good guys. We get to go in and save like, POWs who have been held illegally for decades. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- that idea is really interesting. Again, it and I think the film does a good job in that case of not exploring it too deeply. I don't think we want to spend too much time like saying that, but I think having it there and having it be a part of it is important. Yeah. John Milius, the other big movie he directed was uh, Red Dawn. Okay, so So that makes sense. It's a bit of a war not. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, worth pointing out too that um, the the director of First Blood is the one that made directed this movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah. obviously, like a producer, what had an idea of what he could do and how he could handle the drama and the action combined and mixed together, right? And wanted to yeah. wanted to bring in somebody who could do that and who could treat Vietnam vets with respect while at the same time telling an action movie story. Mm. And, and I think that that's, that's important, right? And that's what this, what this film gets right, I think, is, you know, here's a group of guys trying to do the right thing, and it doesn't matter whether you agreed with the Vietnam War or not. These are still just veterans trying to save their, like, like they're still human beings at risk here, and a government that's saying, yeah, we don't care, right? Yeah, I told a friend of mine that we were doing... Uh doing you know uncommon valor and then rambo 2 and he's like oh my god first blood is so good yeah i'm like right i'm like that's the big one everybody always just lumps in with the others the others become like cartoons at some point but first blood is just so good and people just forget how good first blood is because of the reputation that rambo had yeah yeah so it is interesting if you watch like both these movies you're like oh okay i get it like that's the first blood is exactly like they watched it and went, Oh, this is the guy we need. Yep. He knows how to do sort of both. Like it's an entertaining action movie, but there is like some drama and some heart to it. So we could easily yeah. have him come do our movie. And I think like, I think first blood is the better version partially because these, I'm guessing I'm kind of making some assumptions here, but first blood notoriously, the script had a lot more dialogue for Rambo in it and they edited it out and just had him play the more silent type. And I think that that really works in the context of the film. But I think that here, maybe where the dialogue is better, 
so therefore they didn't edit it out. So we don't have quite as dramatic a storytelling. It is still leaning a little bit more towards the action side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you brought up earlier Fred Ward's character. Yeah. I think I would have liked to see more involved with him. Um, so they kind of tell his backstory that he, yeah, he was a tunnel rat and he went into a tunnel, found there was someone else there, and then the tunnel collapsed on top of him. Yeah. And he killed whoever, you know, was in the tunnel with him. And then he was stuck down there for, I don't even know if, remember if they say for how long. Yeah. I think they had to like, yeah. they had to dig him out. And uh, then he found out it was like a woman and her kid or whatever. He killed them both. So Fred Ward's character has like this claustrophobia and just, you know, the PTSD around the whole thing. And we don't ever really see that play a huge factor. You brought up the part where they're sleeping and he even like, cause I mean, they're sleeping in essentially like a giant tent, um, you know, with like a roof and stuff, but there's no real like sides or whatever, but you know, the bunks are all lined up in there. And even that's like, he's like, nope, can't do it. Got to go outside and sleep in the field. Yeah. And stuff. But we don't ever like see him while they're training, like really have a problem with sort of his, his claustrophobia and his PTSD. But of course, as soon as they get there, he has to run in through a tunnel and sort of that's when it pops up. I would have liked to have seen maybe just a little bit more of him yeah. dealing with that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, cause like I found the first half of the film, they were, the Fred Ward character was a, a major part of it. And he was also like a really interesting part of it. Cause even when they, when like uh, that, that sort of opening, scene where we're meeting all the characters while uh, Gene Hackman's character is going around and recruiting them. And when he gets to Fred Ward's house, like his wife is like blocking him from getting in. And his wife is like, no, it has taken me 10 years to get him to move on past that war. You have no right to bring it. Like, you know what I mean? So we know that this has been a problem for his whole life since the war ended, that this has been an ongoing issue. And that's really interesting. And then you get to the place where the parts we've already talked about. And then in, it just sort of gets dropped, and that's unfortunate. Because mm-hmm. they even do, like, um, training where he is, like, out in the woods. Yeah. And uh, the goal for everybody is to get from where they are back to base without sort of getting tagged by him. And, you know, he drops, like, funny signs on top of him, which is kind of funny. And that may be some of the more tonal stuff you were talking about yeah, earlier. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, that was, like, the big <laughs> moment. But... <laughs> um. But yeah, and he doesn't seem to have any problems there because he's like hidden in like bushes and stuff. And I don't, I don't know if that like would activate claustrophobia or whatever. But yeah. they don't do a whole lot with, uh, yeah, sort of his stuff. Like he's he's very active in the training stuff, but none of his problems seem to surface during all that. Yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm giving the film something here or whether it's intentional, but. Like, are they trying to imply that while he's doing the military stuff, that's where the symptoms are the least effect? You know what I mean? Like, when, yeah, maybe. Like, like when he's when he's sleeping in this tent with these other guys, he's uncomfortable. But when he's back out in a foxhole, it's like that's where he see what he feels at home in. And when he's you know, mm-hmm. when he's actively like doing the training, he's not feeling all those emotions that come along with the with the trauma. And I, I don't yeah. know. If, I'm not sure if that's in the film or if I'm making that up, but it's. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. They just, if that is the case, they just didn't do a good job of sort of showcasing that. Yeah, because it's like it, it, I don't know. It is a very interesting idea that 
um, I don't the 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 notion that somehow being out there and doing the violence is making him feel better is is an interesting thing to explore. They don't if they're trying to explore it, they don't do a great job. Mm-hmm. The um, we should point out his wife is the uh, mom from Mock in the Middle. Oh, is she? <laughs> Just when I saw him, like I'm like is that Jane Kaz? Kazmarak or whatever the fucker name is. And I'm like, it sure is. Oh, it's funny. I see. I didn't watch Malcolm in the middle, so I didn't recognize her. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. But like, now that you've said it, I'm like, I'm really picturing it because yeah, like I do. And obviously (laughs) that show is not, uh, it's not unheard of. Like everybody knows it a little. So yeah. Especially after Brian Cranston became like a fabulous dramatic actor after it. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then we meet, we meet Tim Thomerson, who's yeah, you know, he's playing one of the like helicopter pilots. Seems like I don't remember if it's his wife or his girlfriend, but yeah, she makes it a point that she's going to go out and fuck somebody else. Yeah, maybe not to that extreme, but it's obvious that she's just like, yeah, I I go out to the bar all the time and party it up. Yeah, and he has zero interest. Yeah. Uh- Again, I think what they're doing is they're trying to show us all of these different people who have been impacted in all these different ways from the war. Do you know what I mean? Like, because um, the other helicopter pilot, he's like, his life is good. He's wearing a suit when they go to find him. That's how you, uh, mm-hmm. in, in movie shorthand, that means everything's going really well for him. His life's turned out great. Um, you know, yeah. th- this guy is spending all day locked in one place, not wanting to interact with the world. Uh, sailor is, you know, getting into bar fights and shit and just <laughs> causing trouble. Red Brown has become like a stunt man of some kind. It looks like they don't really show it, but he's like doing jumps on his motorcycle or whatever, like taking unnecessary risks. So you're seeing all the different ways that these guys are reacting to what happened to them and what they've been through. Yeah. I do find it interesting that, uh, um, the other helicopter pilot, pilot, the one who everything's going good. The only thing I know him from is that he's like one of Al Bundy's friends on Married Children. Oh shit, that's where I know him from too. I kept, <laughs> I recognized him, eh, and I couldn't quite place it. <laughs> I'm like, I know everybody else in this movie. You, I only know as Al Bundy's like coworker. That's funny. Children. Yeah. <laughs> he had a long illustrious career, apparently. It's so funny because um, I recognized him and I never placed it. And then now I'm like, because I even glanced briefly at his IMDb, but I guess I just didn't notice that. Uh, I do like this sort of, yeah, Gene Hackman shows up to all these people, sort of explains the situation. Most of them, even if they kind of hem and haw a little bit, they're kind of like, yeah, all right. And they sort of sign up for it. This guy, they basically have to guilt trip him into doing it. Yeah. Because he's just like, nope, nope. No uncertain terms. Nope, not going to happen whatsoever. And he's like, oh, but come on, man. You went back to, like, help those other soldiers escape. Like, you you know, you have to go back now. And he's like, hey, don't lay that on me. That is that is not my that is not my problem. And, of course, he ends up showing up after that. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because it raises a question, which I think is like, it's like, where does your responsibility end? You know what I mean? 10 years after a war, a guy you served with is still being held there. Like, are you obligated to fly all the way around the world and go back to war to get him out? Or do you get to be the guy? Like, maybe you just help pressure somebody else to go get him, like the the current military, you know what I mean? (laughs) And, like, you're taking a big risk. All these guys are taking a big risk by doing what they do. And it's like, where does does that responsibility kind of end? 
I think is an interesting discussion that the film kind of goes moves away from it because he eventually just joins the team and it's never brought up again, you know? Yeah. But it would have been interesting to have some moments during the training where he would have been like, again, it's really the training is the part of the movie that I take a little bit of issue with. Cause if you'd taken some time in there to have moments where like something's going wrong and he's going shit, like I might die. I can't die. I have a wife and kids. I have a successful career. Like I need to get home. You know what I mean? Like, and have him processing mm-hmm. that. Like, that would have been again more interesting. Yeah, I guess I was Maybe just I was looking for this whole film to be drama and not not have any kind of lighthearted moments in it. But I guess that's yeah. not the way it is. And maybe even leave. Like, uh, I just can't. I can't do it. And he leaves. And then when they're like getting on the plane to actually fly over, maybe he shows up again or something. But or or leaves and doesn't come back. Or doesn't come back. And yeah, then, that's and, even. And then you've got. You have a moment where you have, like, you could have, like, I don't know, I'm guessing Sailor would be the one that would get, like, super angry with him for wanting to leave. And maybe the Fred Ward character is the one who steps in and goes, no, no, no. What he's doing makes complete sense, and none of us have any right to question it. And you have that mm-hmm. kind of conflict that exists between the guys who are, like, you know, more eager to go and the guys that are going out of a sense of obligation or because they, they feel like they have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, how do we feel about the action at the end? It's pretty good. It's, it it's pretty good. Like it's when when shit goes down and things are. I mean, it, it suffers from that movie logic sometimes of like where like one bomb goes off and eleven explosions happen. But still, it's shit gets crazy at the end. But they do a good job, and I'll, this is where I'll give credit to the director. Like he's you know what's going on at any given time. You know where all the different characters are. You know what they're doing and why they're doing it, even though shit's crazy and hectic and there's all these extras running around with guns. You know what I mean? People dying yeah. everywhere. I found it was... It's, re- it's really tense, too, yeah. which I thought was great. Because, like, uh, there's a point where sort of everything gets behind schedule because they're like, we have to start it at this point and then you know, helicopters are going to show up here and like all this stuff. So all this stuff has to be very coordinated and shit gets off like the timetable. And then suddenly there's a ticking clock because they find that uh, they've been pulling these prisoners out and make them go work in like the fields or, you know, whatever, whatever they're doing, but they have to cross a bridge to do it. And they're like, man, if they cross that bridge, like we're fucked. Like, you know, it's going to completely throw everything off. And, you know, Red Brown's character has to sort of make that decision. And he's just like, yeah, nobody's crossing this bridge. And he has to start blowing shit up in order to stop him and stuff. So there's just that, like, tense moment where you're just like, ah, fuck, they're heading towards the bridge. Like, what the fuck are they going to do? And, like, you know, they cut to, like, everybody. Like, fucking they cut to Swayze. And he's just like, what do I do? Do I start shooting people? Like, I don't know. Like, what what the fuck? Like, I should be here in helicopters by now, but I'm not. Yeah, and you, you kind of get those moments, too, where they've done such a good job setting it up where, like, I think the Swayze character looks to where the helicopters are supposed to be coming over the hill, and they're not mm-hmm. there, and you see it in his face. He's like, shit, like, I don't, this isn't the plan anymore. But yeah. I, I think the other thing the film gets really right with the action is the moment that the Reb Brown character makes that decision where he's going to sacrifice himself to Mm-hmm. Uh, completely destroy the bridge because it doesn't go down with the first explosion or whatever. And, I mean, there's a bit of cheesy yeah. movie logic there, but 
you know, once sure. once he makes that decision and he's laying on that bridge and he's like waiting for them to get close enough that he can, when he throws his bomb, it'll take out some of the bad guys. And, you know, that whole thing is like pretty cool how he's like trapped there and we as an audience know he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. The rest of the guys are like, we got to figure out how to get him out of there. Um, mm-hmm. And then he just makes that decision to lob that bomb and everything goes to hell. But from that moment on too, you're like, that guy's been in the movie since like four minutes into the, into the movie. Yeah. You know he I mean? was the first one. Yeah. Gene yeah. Hackman went to recruit. Yeah. So like once he dies, it's like, Oh shit. Like maybe all these guys are going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, oh Yeah. That's something I was going to bring up, because even though you know, like, every actor, so you basically know every character, and they're all, like, you know, suitably enough famous where you can be like, well, they'll probably survive. But this movie does a good job of making you realize, like, oh, no, anybody could die. Yeah. Like, Gene, Gene Hackman, I was con- I was convinced he was going to die before the movie was over. I thought he might die saving his son at the end or something. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like a big poetic sort of, you know, father sacrificing himself to save his son sort of situation. His his actual ending is sadder than that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, like, I mean, I guess if I want to be critical of the film, which is, I do like doing that, um, (laughs) I would would point out that, like, two of the characters that die both die by sacrificing themselves and blowing themselves up, which is a little bit cheesy. Because yeah. then Sailor does that move where he just like pulls the pin. He's got a grenade around his neck the whole movie, and he pulls that pin yeah. and throws himself off that guard tower into a pile of people. <laughs> it's totally like the WWF move where like all the wrestlers gather on the outside. So when the one guy jumps over the rope, he lands on a whole crowd of them. Yeah. It's totally that, but with you know a grenade around his neck. Yeah, which they totally set up earlier in the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It was a real. I, I just. It was a real Chekhov's gr- grenade around the neck that you're planning to use to kill yourself situation. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really liked this movie. Yeah, it, I even looked up to see if there, there was like a physical release, and there is, but there's like no special features. So I'm just like, oh, well, there's no point because I would love to hear people talking about this movie. I'd be interested because I think it it's buried and lost because of because of the fact that it was the eighties. And so when, mm. when both Chuck Norris and uh, Sylvester Stallone do similar stories and in much more eighties fashion, <laughs> I think it's, you know what I mean? They become the, they become yeah. more memorable because they're the most, the more high profile, but this is the, of the, of those three versions of the story, this is the best one. Um, yeah. And as far as being a good movie, um, mm. as far as like rewatchability, we can discuss you know, because sometimes, sometimes stupid things are fun to watch, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's this. Is the, I feel like this one's like and this is going to sound really stupid, but this is like the most realistic one. And I mean, honestly, this whole situation's not really realistic. Like, you know, some dad's not going to round up a bunch of soldiers and fly over to to Vietnam to see, yeah, you know, this is put his own team together, but. This is where I'm never sure about stuff like that because I'm like I don't know, like like military coups and shit do happen. So like if some guy who's got military experience and access to funds decides he's going to do this, can he? Like you know what I mean? Uh, I mean maybe, but then also the fact that the CIA is listening in and knows exactly what's going to happen, and literally the only action they take is like we're taking this truck full of guns. You boys should be ashamed of yourself. And then they just drive away. 
Yeah. <laughs> Someone's like, hey, let's go over to this place. They got guns. And he's like, all right. And then, you know, back on. Yeah. Yeah, that's a flaw. Like, I, 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 the idea from a, from a storytelling perspective of, like, they lost all their weapons and all their gear. So now they're going to go in and they're going to try to execute the plan with, like, lower quality shit and bargain basement stuff. Quite literally, that's the term they use in the movie is bargain <laughs> basement weapons. Um, that's an interesting storytelling technique. It's not revolutionary by any stretch of the imagination it's pretty you know what i mean um oh yeah but we'll get into it in the next movie but the uh, the whole uh the the execution of it is like there's that one line of dialogue where he's like i'm supposed to put you in jail but i don't want to put a someone like you in jail so i'm gonna trust that you'll go home and you're like i don't i don't like if you have this reverence for this colonel that you're going to choose to ignore your orders and not arrest him when you've been told to, then wouldn't you choose to leave him with his weapons as well? There's like a real logic gap there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Cause they could have even just played it up that like, like this character is like, look, I have to do my job and I have to, you know, they have to know that I did my job, but almost like, you know, I know you'll send yourself to the airport, like, you know, wink, and maybe hand them, like, you know, the address of this restaurant that you can go in the basement and buy guns or something. Like, they could have at least made at least made that character, like, be like, I understand what you're doing. I respect what you're doing. But I have to do my job. Yeah. But, you know, I may not do my job to the fullest extent, so you can still maybe do what you're doing. Yeah. If they didn't really play that up at all. Yeah, a little wink and nod like that, where it's like he knows that he's not stopping him. Um, yeah. I mean, you could have also just written it in, in any other way, right? Like we're fucking like they're in uh, Thailand at that point. So make up the name of <laughs> of a Thai gang that comes in and steals their weapons. You know, hey, you're in our territory and we're not going to let you have all these weapons in our territory. So you better yeah. not make the mistake of trying that again. And you know what I mean? Like if you want, you could have that same plot point in different ways. Hmm. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Um, anything else we should cover? I mean, did we have anything else to say about the fact that his kid is, has been dead this whole time? <laughs> how, how fucking dark is that reveal? I, it is super dark. Yeah. I mean, they try to make it a positive spin because they're like, oh, but he saved yeah. Robert Stack's kid. And you're like, yeah, but that's not really like a positive. Like Gene Hackman's going to have to go home and like look at, all these reunions and be like, but why not my son? Yeah. He's not going to be like, well, at least my son saved some of them. He's going to be like, he's going to go home to his wife too. And be like, you know how, like I've been like living in Southeast Asia for the last decade, trying to track our <laughs> kid down. That was all a waste of time. I probably should have been here with you. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's hugely dark and it's, there isn't really any coming back from it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Other than the fact that, yeah, you you know your son was a hero, but uh, so be it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Because it almost is like Gene Hackman's character is like in a worse spot now than what he was before they went. Yeah. Well, At least they, they had some sort of hope and he had some sort of purpose. And now he's like, oh, yeah, like you said, I've just wasted 10 years of my life. and I got nothing for it. Well, and I think, too, like the fact that his kid was dead, like when when this all started like you know what i mean it, there's something particularly dark about the fact that the kid was dead from like in 1972 
I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they give an exact timeline, but it's something like that. Yeah, like he got sick. It's not even like, well, he stood up to him and they tortured him and killed him. It's like, oh no, he got he got pneumonia and died. It's like, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't even get a cool death. <laughs> not sure if that's if anyone if anyone's really proud of their cool death or not, but yeah. Uh, speaking of cool deaths, <laughs> next movie. It's Rambo First Blood Part 2, a title that makes no sense. Well, it, it does. It's, <laughs> it, it follows logically. Yeah. It's just, uh, sure. you would think that it wouldn't be, it, it, I don't know, I think there'd be a better way to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the movie opens with, uh, what was the general's name? Do you remember? Uh, Colonel Troutman. Yeah, Troutman, Colonel. Um, Colonel Troutman coming to uh, talk to Rambo, who's now in a jail after his shenanigans in First Blood. And apparently this is like the old-timey jail where they send you to turn big rocks into little rocks with a pickaxe. Mm-hmm. As you do. And so <laughs> he's talking to Rambo, and he's like, I'm really sorry. You got stuck in this hellhole. He's like, I've seen worse. And he's like, well, that's true. So he basically tells them, hey, we might need your help to get some POWs out uh, from uh, Vietnam. And, uh, you know, if you do, the president will pardon you. You don't have to stay in jail anymore. And so he agrees. Um, they go to, where was the sort of the staging base? I don't even remember. It was in Thailand, just like the other Was it also Thailand? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they go. Uh, the <laughs> crease uh, from Karate Kid meets him. And you're like, oh, this is not going to be good. We're going to have a big <laughs> showdown. Uh, but then that never happens, which is disappointing. Um, but, yeah, he's sort of introduced to the team. Um, the guy's like the head of the, I don't know, is it even CIA at this point? Yeah. He's in charge of whatever this project some, is. Some kind of black ops, whatever they are. Yeah. And so they tell Rambo his job is just to go into this base that they think is possibly closed, but... There may be some prisoners in there. They can't get a good look at it. So he's got to go in, see if there's prisoners in there, take pictures, and then they'll come pick them up, and then they'll send in, like, an extraction team or whatever to get them all. So it should be, like, super easy. And he's specifically picked because it's in the jungle. Yeah, well, yeah, he even uh, he was at that prisoner of war camp during his time in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. so he should know the terrain. He should know, like, all this stuff. And they give him, like, all these supplies so that he can, you know, uh, be Super Rambo out in the jungle. And uh, when he's going to jump off the plane to parachute in, his uh, one of his straps gets stuck on the door. And he's, just, like, dr- they're dragging him through the air. And so Rambo, which I question this, makes a decision because, you know, the guy in the door is trying to, like, pry this... Uh, you know, strap out of the whatever part of the door it's stuck in and he can't. So Rambo, of course, pulls his trusty knife out and starts just cutting stuff off. But then at the end, it's like, okay, you cut off to all your supplies, which is a good, you know, plot device. But then at the end, you could have just cut that one, that one, that one strap. He's got no supplies left except that one strap. And he's like, oh, I'll cut that now. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you could have still had all it's, your supplies. It's so fucking dumb. Uh, but it's just a giant excuse to get him into the jungle with no supplies. So 
He's stuck with a bow and arrow and his, his trusty knife, and that's about it. Um, so he falls, meets up with his contact. Uh, she takes him to this boat run by pirates, and uh, they're going to take them down river, and Rambo can sneak into the camp, figure it out, sneak back out, and then, you know, the pirates will take them home. All done. But, of course, everything goes wrong. Well, he doesn't have his camera, so he can't take pictures. Yeah, he doesn't have his camera. Um, finds a bunch of POWs, and then finds one specifically, like, strapped up to, like, a an X, like a crucifixion-type yeah. thing, and cuts him down. He's like, come on, buddy. We'll, we'll get out of here. And so that kind of, like, fucks everything up, because now he's got, he's got to drag this guy with him, and then they run into soldiers that he's got to kill, and that sort of like blows like the entire plan out of the water. Um, and then when they get back on the boat, the pirates turn on them and are going to hand them over. So of course, Rambo's got to kill all of them and blow up the other boat with a fucking rocket launcher. Um, he blows up and, the other boat with a rocket launcher. Then that boat drifts into the boat he's on. So it'll blow up too. <laughs> yep. Of course. Uh, and I guess the big twist is, uh, the, the special ops people, um, they're trying to, because, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we lost contact with him. He's probably dead. We should probably just give up. And Troutman's like, no, 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 no. Like, we said he's going to have 36 hours. We're going to give him 36 hours. And then we're going to, you know, fly in. And if we need to pick up some POWs, we will. So the big twist is, of course, this special ops team doesn't want to find anything because it's going to cause problems at home. Like, as far as, like, the government or whatever, it's going to make the government look bad. So they're pretty much doing everything they can to make this a non-issue, and they just want to leave sort of John Rambo out there to die more than anything. And, um, yeah, at some point, uh, it all happens. Rambo gets captured again, and then, uh, you know, eventually has to just blow up the entire camp and run, fly all the uh, POWs out, because he's Rambo. Yep. <clears throat> How do we feel about Rambo 2, this viewing? I haven't seen this one since I was a kid. Okay, I've definitely seen it since then, uh, but it has mm -hmm. been a while. Yeah. Um, man, like, this movie gets parodied a lot when you think about UHF or oh, Hot Shots. I knew, or, you know, I knew all the scenes in this movie, basically just from watching Hot Shots Part 2, like, yeah. multiple times. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is when he's playing with his knife on the floor of the boat and accidentally pokes a hole in it. <laughs> and water comes spurting out and he has to put his foot over it to stop it from leaking. And I'm like, I feel really sad that this is what I'm identifying with in this movie. But yeah, like there's a re like there are at least two incidents in this movie where he uses an explosive big enough to destroy a building to to hit one man. Yeah, of course. There are <laughs> conservatively, what are we talking? Between five and ten moments where people are just firing at him and he's in the complete open. And then he just turns around and fires back. And for some reason, like him shooting from the hip takes out all of them. But <laughs> who are like aiming precisely yeah. like with their sights and stuff and still can't hit him. Yeah. yeah, there's I mean, there's even silly moments where it's like at one point he he kills. He's killing guys with bows and arrows because when he's still trying to not get caught and he puts an arrow through a guy's skull. And I'm like, that's not the most efficient way when you're using a bow and arrow. Like you're going to want to do a body <laughs> shot with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm no expert. I don't know if an arrow can make it through the human skull, but I know that's not the the easiest way. 
And you know what I mean? You're not, <laughs> you're not supposed to be doing it artistically. Um, so, He's Rambo. Yes, he is. Um, it's yeah. So all that stuff, like I, I should those everything I just said should be a criticism. But my God, it's fun to watch when he <laughs> and like what I love about this movie is the mo- okay. So the moment, the the defining moment of this movie is when there's that one guard and he's like firing at Rambo and Rambo's standing in the pure open, not even remotely pretending like he cares that he's being shot at. <laughs> and the guy like runs out of bullets and has to like pull out his other gun. And now he's like firing his handgun at Rambo. And you're like, well, at least we know handguns aren't as accurate. So we understand why this one's missing. <laughs> and then Rambo pulls out his bow and arrow with the explosive tipped and arrows and he pulls back real slow and they do that close up on his face and he is deadpan serious there's the like, <laughs> sylvester sloan is playing this as if it's first blood he's playing it with that level of drama and they it's actually really really well shot the way they like focus in on the tip of the arrow right before he releases and then we just see that dude fucking explode <laughs> like something out of an Evil Dead movie. He just <laughs> and it's so great. Yeah, and before we saw him using those arrows to blow up like giant trucks on a bridge and <laughs> yeah, yeah, giant buildings in the camp but, or whatever. But yeah. You know he's already done that, and then they take it so slow, like so the whole audience can sit there going, "He's gonna blow him up. He's gonna blow him up," <laughs> and then he does, man. I mean, uh, it's like, how do you not enjoy that? It's stupid. Like, it's objectively bad filmmaking, because why would that happen yeah. that way? But I don't care, because it's so fun. Even like we talked about, like, the thing with him getting hooked up on the plane. It's like, first of all, we spend the first five minutes of the movie talking about how he's this super soldier who could literally destroy anything and do anything to anyone he wants. And then the first thing he tries to do, he fucks it up, which is just jump out of a plane, which like I know people that jump out of planes. It's not that I don't think it's that hard. The jumping out, the not dying on the way down part is a little complicated, but the just jumping out part. Like, I think it's really rare for people to get hooked on the side of a plane and get dragged. (laughs) And then, like you said, like just the idea that like I'm getting dragged, I better get rid of my backpack full of equipment. (laughs) (laughs) What? Why? Like two full bags of equipment. He's like, well, get rid of that one. Let me get rid of this one. All right. And then, yeah, all that's left is this, the actual strap. And I'm like, you could have cut that one and been perfectly fine. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's this weird thing that the movie exists in this weird reality where he's, he's like hooked on the side of a plane. He's being dragged. He's banging against the side. And he can still think to himself, I'll reach down, get the knife out of my boot, reach over and cut that rope and I'll be free. But he can't think... I wonder which rope it is that's hooked. Like, like that part he can't handle. <laughs> so... I mean, it's absurd. It reeks of like Hollywood logic of like, just we need, we need an action beat here because it's been too long since our last, last action beat. So just have them get hooked on the side of the plane. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Important to note that like this script is like a James Cameron script. So yeah, I was going to bring that up. I didn't realize James Cameron was a co-writer on it. Again, James Cameron left to his own devices is not a great storyteller in my opinion <laughs> he's good with visuals but that doesn't help you in script writing <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah uh, it's yeah it 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 reeks of just that real hollywood logic and just that like it's been 10 minutes we need an action beat we don't care about the impact this has on the audience's view of our character or anything like that you know mm. Yeah, my only, like, real big complaint 
is there's a love story in it. Is there though? I have questions about this. Okay. So so his uh the person is person he's meeting up with is female and apparently her dad used to do this and she took over for him. And then uh like they just talk like on the boat about she's like well like what's america like and he's like oh i found out there's another war a war on soldiers when they come home it's like all right getting a little dramatic there jimmy c but um you know and then i mean it's all sort of business going forward and then she's after she rescues him after he's been captured again she's like where do you think you're gonna go back to america can i come with you and then they kiss and i'm like the fuck is happening and then of course 30 seconds later she gets shot and dies and he does the dramatic where he holds her and looks up at the sky like no yeah so you think there's less to that less or or more i'm not sure but here's the thing so earlier in the film when he's like what are you gonna do like when you it's time to stop doing this like because i think she says her father died like trying to help this battle and he and she says like maybe i'll come to america and live a quiet lifestyle right mm-hmm. and then he's like she's like what are you gonna do are you gonna like go home to america after this and he's like yeah and she's like maybe take me with you and then she starts like kissing him out of nowhere there's been no indication that this is her <laughs> i think she's fucking just using him to get back to america i don't think it's a love story i think it's literally her saying i'll bang you if you take me to america with you <laughs> that's what i think is going on in this movie and i've never noticed it before until this watching because i've always just given him the benefit of the doubt that it's a love story but i don't think it is i think she's yeah. i think she's literally just like well like it sounds like you're having trouble getting laid i can make that work for you if it gets me to america and then once i'm there i can go live my quiet life and you can go back to being rambo like <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's really interesting the way it plays out i don't know what was intended by the scriptwriter and or director they did go get themselves an Italian director just to make sure that the women characters wouldn't be too respected. Like, she is literally the only female character in the movie who's not a whore. Let's also factor that in, right? So, uh, And then also plays then a whore one time just so she yeah. can sneak back in. Right, which, which plays into what I'm saying, that maybe she does know what she's doing, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Which I don't know if you realize it, but uh, George Cosmatos, who directed this, his son directed the movie Mandy that everybody loved a couple years ago. Okay. Oh, he, George also directed Cobra, which yeah, I was yeah. not aware of. Yeah, no, he... And uh, of Unknown Origin, which we covered yeah, on this he's, show. He's a staple of this podcast. <laughs> we, we, yeah. We've dealt with a lot of his stuff and, you know... Tombstone? Not, yeah. Yeah, not exactly shocking to find out that he... The type, the guy who made Rambo 2 also made a bunch of other movies that we liked on the podcast. <laughs> this isn't, you know, that, I don't think that's a huge uh, surprise to anyone listening right now. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even sure how to describe Rambo 2 to people. <laughs> like, yeah, it's interesting. It's got a lot of cheese in it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Not, not when it's done right. But. Yeah, but, but then, like, I'm having, like I said, I'm having those moments where I'm just like, oh, yeah, they did this in Hot Shots too. Oh, yeah, they did this in Hot Shots too. Oh, that's from UHF. Yeah. And I feel like you could almost just paste together a complete parody movie of this movie using those <laughs> just, two movies. Just stitch together the scenes, <laughs> retell the whole yeah. story. You, honestly, that's not far-fetched. 
Except I think Hot Shots <laughs> uses the opening of Rambo 3, so you'd have to figure out how to edit that. But um, yeah. yeah, it's – I don't know. It's really interesting that <laughs> like – so clearly Stallone, like, at this point had a lot of control and could do what he wanted with these characters, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because you watch – if you ever watch the Rocky movies, it goes, like, hardcore drama, like, which technically has boxing in it. Then the second one is kind of trying to recreate that, but he can't quite do it again. So the third one, they just went fucking – boxing movie we're gonna fight a guy with a giant mohawk <laughs> like let's put hulk hogan in this motherfucker what are we doing here right like it's, it's so it's interesting that he went that way and here it's like well the director of first blood who made that really genuinely excellent movie which blends the drama and the action and he goes let's go get that guy from italy the who's going to know how to show a close-up of my arrow before i use it to explode somebody <laughs> Yeah. It'll show my flexing bicep as I like sharpen my knife as I'm getting ready. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's interesting that he chose to go this way. And I mean, I think like of the movies we've talked about that where the plot is um, soldiers going to save POWs left behind after Vietnam. Like this is not only this is the third one we've talked about, but it's the third one in release order too. Like. Because Missing in Action, I think, is a year before this. Uncommon Valor is a year before that. And then I think there's one other one with Chuck Norris that was even earlier than that. So, like, he's late to the game on this subject matter, but he clearly figured out how to draw the most attention based on it. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, I don't know. They're able to just sort of own this whole thing. Because if you explain, okay, what's a movie where they go back to rescue POWs. Like most people would probably be like, Oh, Rambo too. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I I can't imagine. I can't imagine that they, that anyone thinks of any other movie first. Um, and you know, part of it is the time that this came out in, like, this is a very 1980s movie. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. And it's like for all it's good or bad, this movie could never be made in any other era. Really, this movie had to be made in 1985. If it had been made two years earlier, it would be Uncommon Valor. And if it was made two years later, it would have been a, a different thing all altogether. It had to come out in 1985. It had to come out at this point in Stallone's career where he's ex- at exactly this level of famous where he can fuck with the scripts and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, But he makes so much money, so we have to... Just let him tinker. Yeah. Well, I mean, because in, in a world where he is basically got full control over the Rocky franchise and it's doing huge numbers, like 85, so 1, 2, and 3 would have been out when this movie was being made, right? Uh, so it, it's it's huge. And, you know, the first First Blood is, is so well-respected. I don't know what it was like box office-wise, but it's a very well-respected film. Like, so for him to come in and say, like, you want to do more with the Rambo character? Like, you obviously can't recast Rambo at that point. He's too well-known of an actor. You want to do it? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to take James Cameron's script and then make it a little bit more ridiculous so it makes me look a little more like a hero. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's It's a hard film to talk about because it's... On the one hand, it's so good. On the other hand, like, it's so bad. It's not even particularly well made at certain points. Like, there are moments where he's firing off those arrows, and it's just so obvious that they just 
had him like they're like here's some arrows just fire them in all the different directions and then we'll just cut to different shots of you doing that and then cut to things blowing up and it doesn't really like it doesn't look like he's shooting at what's blowing up if that makes any sense <laughs> no, like, it's not like, like you know, it's, you know, like the the one where he blows up the the human with an exploding arrow. At least you see him aiming the arrow at the human, and it appears that he intentionally blows that guy up. The other ones, it's like he's just firing random bullets into the jungle, and conveniently, there's a few buildings there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, what the fuck? I had a, I had something. I had something. I completely forgot what it was. Yeah, I don't know. What did you uh, What did you think about the random insertion of Russians into this movie? <laughs> like, well, Russians are bad. Like, wouldn't the Vietnamese be bad enough just that they're holding POWs? No, 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 no. We got to get some Russians in there. I feel like uh, it's hard to understand the racism of other time periods, but I feel like the problem is that if you picture a Vietnamese person in your brain, you're picturing a small guy. And you need a big guy who's going to punch Rambo a bunch of times. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're going to have a fist fight in a helicopter. So they're just like, who's a, who are bad guys that are big? And stereotypically, that means Russians. So they have the big, like the Russian version of Rambo that he has to fist fight with. <laughs> uh, I had even completely forgot about it. So you just brought it up. Because <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. Like, I'm sure there's some connection between... Vietnam and Russia that if we if we were you know had done research we could explain the connection but just the fact that they're like right there in the soul in the like jungle in mm-hmm. full like Russian uniforms like in 1985 like why why would they be in yeah. that jungle yeah it's like navy blue like uniforms it's just like <laughs> this doesn't work whatsoever because there's a moment too where like um like Stallone just like looks at the camera he's like the russians like it's like almost like when they were doing their script rewrites they're like people are not going to understand why they're here somebody explained who those guys are so like ah, if he just says russians everybody will know they're bad guys it's close enough like, oh yeah fuck those guys russians are bad <sighs> um how about when rambo shows back up to base with a helicopter full of pow's yeah. and he just goes up and kicks uh, uh the bad guy from karate kid right in the nuts and then walks in and shoots and blows everything up well it's, it's really weird the way he does it because he walks in and he shoots like the computer and destroys everything right and he goes to the guy like so he kicks karate kid to guy in the nuts because that's the guy that physically left him behind but he knows mm-hmm. because again in just really cheesy script writing the russians like intercepted the communication and read it to him <laughs> so he knows exactly what was said between <laughs> these guys so he knows that guy was following orders so he's pissed at him for doing it, but he's not holding him directly accountable because he's not the one that issued the order, right? Yeah. So he kicks that guy in the nuts, and then he goes in, and he shoots the hell out of the computers, and he t- pulls the other guy aside, and he's like, now you know that they're there, and you know there must be more. If you don't go find them, I'm going to come find you. And he walks away into the – just disappears into, into <laughs> Thailand, right? And you're like, all right. I mean, forget the fact that maybe if you're going to disappear, get some medical treatment first, considering what you've been through. I don't know. Demand a change of clothes or like the clothes you were wearing when you showed back up. So you're not just wandering <laughs> away just in your clothes you've been wearing in the jungle for the last week. But <laughs> the logic of so these guys sent you in there. You, you know that they sent you in there hoping you'd find nothing. 
and then they were totally willing to kill you to cover up the fact that you found something. So then you find these prisoners of war and you turn them over to those guys as custody. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, what the, you know, the, the epilogue to this movie is just that guy coming out of there and like slitting those guys throats and they're all just bleeding to death on the thing. And then he just lights their bodies on fire and turns to his guys and goes, you guys saw nothing, right? And yeah, I know we had none of us saw anything, sir. All right. Good thing Rambo walked away instead of doing something about this. It's well, I mean, you know, Troutman did say you'll probably get another uh, Congressional Medal of Honor or whatever, to which he says, "Give it to them," and then just walks walks off. So, yeah. And then to top it off, I don't know. I'm just thinking of this part now, but he wants he wants that special forces guy, whoever is named the Charles Napier character. He wants him mm-hmm. to go back and find more people, but he blows up all the guy's computers and equipment. <laughs> so he's, he's going to intentionally make it harder for that guy to do it. For what reason? If he'd walked in there and killed the guy, I'd be fine. With it. Like yeah. I just go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that guy fucking ordered him, basically ordered him to be murdered. He gets back. He's going to kill that guy especially in movie logic, even in real life logic, I'd have no problem with it. But in movie logic, I'm like, yeah, totally. That makes complete sense. But the idea of, look, I know that you tried to murder me and that you don't want the world to know about these POWs. However, please take good care of these POWs. (laughs) It's just... Rambo's going to make the country look bad. (laughs) It's just... There's no, and you know, like there is no reference to this in Rambo's three, four, or five. There's no like newspaper article hanging on the wall about how many more soldiers were found after the fact because they never went back in and looked for more soldiers. Of course not. I don't even know if I've seen part three all the way through. Part three, like at, at this point, because this film was so successful, part three is like, whoa. What's popular now? And where are the Russians now? So we can still make them the bad guys. So he goes to Afghanistan and he helps, he helps get them ready to commit 9-11. So it's like here, Afghanis, here's how we kill people in America. He does. He, he teams up with the people, the Russians that were rebelling against, or the Afghanis are rebelling against the Russians. You're like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That seemed like a real good idea in 1989, but by around (laughs) 2001, it might've seemed like a bad idea to teach those guys how to fight a war. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, Rambo. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, Doug, what have you watched since last episode? Uh, wait, are you supposed to do feedback first? Do we have feedback? No, nah, probably not. No. no. <laughs> You're in charge of checking it. I got confused for a second. Like, do we have feedback? That was my little joke about how we never get any feedback. Uh, I'm trying to cover up the fact that I have uh, literally watched nothing else since. Some guy named Nick emailed us and said advertisers are looking for us. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm sure they're not. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they're not. <laughs> 
Do you know what? Uh, I'll tell you a random advertising fact about our podcast is uh, sure. I downloaded like a really old episode to listen to the other day because I was trying mm-hmm. to, I needed something to fall asleep to. And I thought I like my old jokes and if I listen to one that's old enough, then so it was like from the original 2018 Halloween, whatever we, whatever we talked about that, Okay. but, but Aerosmith was, was the ad for the thing. Nice. Like how does, how does Aerosmith so desperate for ticket sales that they're advertising on our podcast? That doesn't make sense. It's the farewell tour, Doug. They got to get all the fans they can. (laughs) Anyways. So if, you know, Tracy, if you're listening, if you could fly to Montreal for that final show, that's the one they really, really want you to go to. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I have watched nothing. I was, uh, I left, I left for vacation like the morning after we last recorded. And I got mm. back like two days. I got back on like Sunday night and Monday I watched these two movies. Okay. So. Um, well, I got a couple things, uh, for an article I was working on. I rewatched, I still know what you did last summer. Oh yeah. Yeah. That movie's still pretty bad. <laughs> I was going to say it doesn't, how does it hold up? But hold up might not be the right word. Not good. Not good whatsoever. Um, you have to do a video script for it. And he's like, yeah, don't go like beat by beat about the movie, but just find something interesting to talk about. And so I found I found the angle of let's talk about all the stuff that's inappropriate in this movie for 2023, starting with a dreadlocked Jack Black walking around asking everybody if they want to buy weed and talking, (laughs) talking with a black scent. Okay, well, that part's an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Up up until that, I was down for it. I'm like, yeah. Um, let's see the older, uh, you know, wise, uh, guy that works at the hospital. Um, and he's the, you know, older, wise black man. Mm-hmm. Of course he uh, dabbles in voodoo because why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, what's the point of being black if you're not going to do voodoo, right? Fucking <laughs> nineties <laughs> um, just inserted voodoo into everything. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. made no sense whatsoever. There was so much voodoo in the nineties. <laughs> Uh, and then I pointed out that fucking Brandy tries to get Jennifer Love Hewitt to break up with Freddie Prince Jr. or at least cheat on him the entire movie. Really? Yeah, because the whole thing is like, so Freddie Prince Jr. stayed in their in their town, whatever, working at the docks, and Jennifer Love Hewitt went to uh, college, but she's still close enough that they can like you know drive and see each other every once in a while. And the thing is, he keeps trying to get her to come home for, you know, whatever. And she's like, I'm just not ready to come home. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Since, you know, two of your friends were murdered last year. And then the year before that, you guys ran over a fisherman in the road and just threw him in the ocean. And maybe probably, stay in college. Just get, probably, get, get a summer job. <laughs> probably pretty traumatic memories from <laughs> from being back home. And you're probably not ready yet. Um, and he gets all pissed off about it, which is another thing of him just being like, oh, but come see me at home. And it's like, dude, she doesn't want to fucking come home. Calm the fuck down. But then uh, Brainy keeps telling her, oh, you should check out this guy, Will, that, you know, we're sort of friends with. And she does it all the time and tries to, like, invite him to stuff where she's like, yeah, you guys could, like, you know, hang out, do whatever. And I'm just like. You are purposefully trying to push her to cheat on her boyfriend this entire movie. Yeah, it's funny because you could 
you could rewrite that easily enough where it's like she's encouraging her like look leave your old life behind maybe it's time to end things with him you clearly don't want to go home he doesn't yeah. want yeah he and yeah it's interesting yeah. that it's, <laughs> it's, it's there, there's a way to do that that's not like completely offensive yeah yeah because she tells her no like multiple times like no i'm with ray like i'm not interested in will and like that just makes her double down even harder like oh will's here at the club you should dance with will and it's just like jesus christ you're supposed to be her best friend and you're just being kind of a bitch right now yeah um and then the other is the convoluted plan of i tell you what i'm gonna spend all this money to make them think they want a trip to the bahamas so i'm gonna you know have someone call them tell them they want a trip i probably know where they live but you know i'm gonna let this happen i'm gonna let them fly all the way to the bahamas try to set it up so that it's during like a hurricane so they can't leave (laughs) i'm gonna murder everybody else that's working at the hotel and then like have a dramatic reveal like guess what it's me And I'm like, if you know where she lives, you could probably just break into her house while she's sleeping and kill her if you want to get revenge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The movie's so not good. I was really hoping, too, because I remember when I saw it, I was like, man, I remember not liking this movie at all. I'm hoping maybe it was just like, you know, a movie that needs another chance, like, later on. And I rewatched it. I'm like, no, this is bad. This is so bad. Oh. Yeah, I, I actually saw it show up in your like movies anywhere, and I'm like, I don't normally like when something new pops up. I, I'm really excited to watch it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about this one. I wonder if the original is in here somewhere. Maybe it still holds up a little bit. <laughs> the original should be in there somewhere, but yeah, it was like one of those. I found a copy on YouTube and I was watching it, but then like because of some of the music they play in it, like sections of the audio just drop out completely. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And so I looked. I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, five bucks to rent it, eight bucks to own it. Like, I'll just buy it. Yeah, could have saved myself $3. Um, After that, I watched the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, nice. Um, Really enjoyed it. I did, like, all the uh, weird mutant characters that I have action figures of in my basement somewhere. (laughs) So, I mean, they'd pop up on screen and be like, oh, Wingnut, awesome. Oh, like Scumbug, like all these different ones. And I was like, this is fantastic. Like, I know all of these characters. It's fun because I don't know all those characters. Like, I, mm-hmm. my knowledge of Ninja Turtles is heavily based on that first movie from 1990. But they do just a good enough job of being like, here's their names. You can kind of see what they're mutated from. That's enough. Like, it's <laughs> that's all you need for, for this movie. Like, for a different movie, you might want something different. But yeah. It's funny, I was sitting there watching it, and I'm like, why does Wingnut sound so familiar? So I looked up the cast list, and it's it's voiced by Nadia from What We Do in the Shadows, and I'm like, oh! There you go. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, and weirdly enough, fucking Ice Cube is hilarious in this movie. Yeah. It's just this weird so superfly. He's, uh, he's pretty good. I liked him, to be honest. Like, yeah. I, I liked everybody. I thought they were actually like the, the voice acting was quite well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked all the Ninja Turtles. Um, I think you guys had commented on it before that the best thing they did was just get all four of the kids that were voicing them into a room to like record rather than just doing one at a time. And so you get that just sort of playing off of each other, and 
even improvising some stuff and everything. And it came off like really genuine, which made it a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Well, so that's three for three recommendations from the people on this podcast related yeah. to that. So, yeah, I do find it weird that it ends with them going to high school. Yeah. Which is not, a, not a direction I would have seen, but yeah, the idea of them becoming more accepted is very interesting, but the idea of them like actually going to school and just like they're just going to show up in, in class is a little d- different. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see because there's I think they're talking about doing a series based off the movie. Okay, um, and then I think the movie did well enough they're going to do a sequel. I'm sure. I mean, I guess the series is them going to high school. That's something. Yeah. You can, yeah. Why not? I don't know. So, I don't know. It'll be good. I'll give it a watch. I was always uh, I was always worried about different... Like, I've still never seen the Michael Bay ones and don't feel like I ever need to watch those. No, there's um, shit. I don't need, like, I don't know. I don't need to eat a bowl of shit to know shit tastes better. <laughs> yeah. So, I never watched those. Um, but, like, I tried to read some comics because they sort of, like, rebooted, like, the comic books. They're like, okay, yeah. we're going to start from the beginning. And kind of just, this is like a new Turtles comic book, so we can, you know, sort of like create the series from here rather than where we started it before. And so we can switch things up and see how things work. And read the first couple issues, and I was like, I don't know, I don't like this at all. Because um, they made like Casey Jones like an abused teenager, and April O'Neil was like an intern at whatever facility that made the ooze and stuff and she actually knew the turtles before they became mutated and all this stuff i'm like i don't like it but then like um when the nickelodeon show came out was it 2012 and i got really sucked into that series and in that one april o'neill is like a high school student sort of like she is in this movie yeah and, and it was different enough so i was able to like watch it and be like okay they're switching things up and some things seem to really work, and so I was able to kind of get over the fact that stuff was different and actually really enjoyed that series and was able to even go back and start rereading that comic series again from the beginning and was okay with it. So changing stuff up for this movie, I was kind of like fine with it. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what they do. Let's see what they do differently. Well, they, I mean, do, they do add a lot of different stuff, but it all seems to work for this specific movie. Yeah, there's been so many incarnations of the Ninja Turtles at this point that it's like trying to pick which one and say, no, that's the one that's, mm-hmm. you know, the true version is kind of ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the, you know, one of the fun things about comic characters is that they can be reinvented over the years. And as long as you stick to sort of the core of it, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the movie's really good. I would, uh, highly recommend it. They better get on making this other stuff for those teenagers start growing up though, or they're going to, they're going to get too old and their voices are going to change too much. You think so? Yeah. I don't know. I, think, I don't what know. The fuck do I know? I don't know how teenagers voices work. So <laughs> you will at some point. Um, and then I guess the last movie I watched, we got a screener for a documentary called we kill for love. Um, which is a two hour and 45 minute documentary about erotic thrillers from the eighties and nineties. Um, which I was very interested in because I like the, uh, like them talking about like film trends and stuff and just how stuff like gets like all of a sudden like erotic thrillers are in 
So then, like, everybody makes, like, a billion of them. So then they're not in anymore. But then, like, Basic Instinct comes out. And then they're like, oh, they're in again. So let's make more of them. Um, but then, of course, they fucked the formula up and stuff. So it was just really interesting, like, sort of following along with all that stuff. Because now this documentary posits the the, the notion that these actually sort of come out of, like, film noir. Because, like, yeah. the early pulp novels and stuff were sort of, you know, full of, like, sex and murder and crime or whatever. And then, of course, they started basing those off into, like, film noir movies and stuff. And they couldn't do as much, but they could insinuate a bunch of stuff. And then, so, you know, once, like, the super late 70s and the early 80s pop around, they're like, oh, let's sort of take that model, but we can do it, you know. Because uh, they talk about, like, video stores need content. So... Literally, it's just like, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's take like a $100,000 and make this sort of thriller movie and then we'll put a lot of sex in it and whatever and it'll sell super well. And somebody even brings up the point that like, yeah, because back then, like, people would rent stuff and they don't know, like, maybe maybe this movie's no good. So let's rent like four of them. And they, one of the producers even said like, yeah, the 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 goal wasn't to make like the best like erotic thriller they've ever seen, because if they get satisfied, they won't spend any more money at the video store. So you want them to come back and like keep renting stuff. Cause they're looking for something, which I thought was just a weird sort That's of interesting. Plan, but yeah. Yeah. Cause I, mean, I don't think it's exactly uh, groundbreaking to suggest that they just, uh, yeah, that they're just putting, I don't even know the polite way to say it, but they're putting tits on screen. Cause you know, Mm-hmm. Back then, that was the best way to see them. Was you know, yeah. three ninety nine. Yeah. There could be as many as eight tits in any given movie. Um, <laughs> so it's like you know, but to hear them actually saying we're we're not trying to make the best one because we don't want people to be satisfied is interesting. Mm-hmm. So they sort of go over that, and they talk to a lot of the actresses and actors from some of those movies. And um, I don't know, it was just kind of interesting because they talk to a lot of them, and a lot of them are just like, well, we we're trying to make like a like a good suspenseful movie and yeah there's lots of nudity and stuff in it but you know we wanted like a good mystery or whatever um and stuff and then they start talking about how like when it gets into like the late 90s you know they're like well it's sort of like oversaturated so then the problem becomes we need to make as as the budget as low as possible so we can recoup more money since there's so many out there. Each one's not making as much money as, as they were. Um, and then uh, we need cheaper actresses. And so that's when they would bring in like porn stars because yeah. they had no problem taking their clothes off. And, you know, for them, it's like, oh, I just have to get naked. I don't have to have sex with anybody. Yeah. Like I'll totally be in your movie. <laughs> so then it just became like easier to like do it that way. And then, of course, the sex quotient then goes up, and then it sort of just like ruins like the whole the whole um, sort of genre because it just becomes nothing but softcore porn. I mean, it's, so it, that's just Hollywood in a nutshell, though, right? Like, somebody, oh, totally. make, somebody makes a good movie, so then you got to make a hundred movies just like it, and eventually you're just making shit that has something vaguely in common with that one good movie. Yeah, because I remember I watched the TV edit of Basic Instinct once, and I was like, oh yeah. I was like, you know what? Like, this is a pretty good movie. Like, it's, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it's like, um, I think it's 
yeah, it's it's entirely possible to make a good erotic thriller and to have it be a good film that happens to have a lot of sex in it versus like, you know, some of the stuff that you would have found on your blockbuster shelves towards the end of that trend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they uh, like it's just some of the interesting stuff they talk about, like one of the um, one of the actresses said, like towards the end, she's like, I had it in my contract that there could be no like triple X actors in the movie with me. And she's like, and I don't have anything against them. Like, I have no problem with people doing porn or anything. But when those actresses are in my movies, then I get called like a porn star and I've never done porn before. So then suddenly, like, my stock is like lowering and I can't get, you know, jobs on commercials or whatever else. And she's like, and that's stuff that like, you know, commercials are pay good money. Yeah. And I can't, I can't get in those if I'm in movies with porn stars because then people say I'm a porn star. Have I done nudity? Yes, of course I've done nudity, but I've never like been in a porn movie. And so there's this weird, like sort of like, uh, almost like, um, an us versus them sort of feeling in it. Yeah. I can see that where it's just like, look, we don't care that you do porn, but you doing porn is not making people think I do porn and that ruins jobs for me. So I just like, I just can't be in the same movie with you. And so it's just a weird sort of like back and forth. And like I said, I just found all that stuff like fascinating how they kind of go over it and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting watch. It's maybe a little too long. Like I said, it's two hours and 45 minutes. That sounds like it's too long to me. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's my complaint about everything lately. So yeah, it has a weird wraparound too. Um, because it's like this guy who they label the archivist is comes into this office and is like writing this like big old soliloquy about sex and murder or whatever, which again, they sort of draw back to like film noir stuff and whatever and stuff. And then they kind of just go into interviews and I'm just like, this is weird. And he'll pop up like every now and again throughout the movie. Um, and so I guess he's sort of the de facto narrator, but they just do it in a weird way that it's like trying to like give this weird, um, story to the documentary and it doesn't need that it's like just be a documentary like it's fine but yeah i don't know um yeah i don't know if it sounds like something you're interested in it's on vod so yeah sounds like something you want to watch over a period of a couple of days because yeah 245 is a lot for a documentary <laughs> we still have a screener link doug you can still watch it yeah. um let's see what else oh i finished up um uh, what we do in the shadows this season which okay. is a lot of fun um it's a good season i had a lot of fun with it i thought it was really funny um i won't i won't tell you anything because i don't want to spoil nothing but i will give you one premise of one episode that i know you're gonna be like well now i can't wait <laughs> um colin robinson runs for public office at some point oh, i'm already in <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was talking with somebody else a couple months ago, like right after the show had started. And she's like, yeah, I haven't watched the new season yet. Don't spoil it. I'm like, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to give you a scenario. Colin Robinson runs for public office. And she just put her head down and started laughing uncontrollably. And I'm like, yes, that is the correct response to, to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So, yeah, another good season. I believe it's already been picked up for another season. So, yeah, I don't know. It's such a good show. And it really shouldn't be. Somehow it works. Yeah, no, I mean, 
This show is effectively perfect. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So next week, Swayze September rolls on. And I mean, there's one movie we kind of have to watch. Oh, I know where we're going. I mean, we have to watch Roadhouse, right? Do we? Yeah. I mean... I don't. I can just tell you about it right now. You want to just talk about it right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I've never seen it, so it's going to be a first-time watch for me. All right. It's just one that I've missed through this entire time. So we're going to be talking about Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse, and then we're going to team that up with an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Raw Deal. Raw Deal? Which I've how's also never connected? seen. How's that connected to Raw Deal? I don't know. And you just haven't seen them. I just I tried to like look up like movies like Roadhouse. And nothing really came up. And this Arnold Schwarzenegger one's like, oh, he becomes like a small town sheriff, but then has to go back undercover. Yep. Whereas Patrick Swayze works as a small town bar and has to <laughs> meet out corruption within it. That doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> well, it's either that or it's going to be Cocktail with Tim Cru- Tom Cruise. So. What? Why? Because <laughs> they both have bars in them. I don't know. You could come up with another action movie that has a bar in it. Nothing good. Is he, The Walking Tall with The Rock was maybe going to be a part of it. Decided against it. All right. I mean, I could have came up with The Walking Tall sequel with Kevin Sorbo. Oh, yeah, that exists. I've never seen that. Yeah. The Rock's like, I don't want to come back. And they're like, oh, we'll get Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. So, Ra- <laughs> Roadhouse and Raw Deal. Both start with R. <laughs> it's, it's it's really not fair that you're allowed to call that a theme. <laughs> Do you have a better idea? No. I'm open for suggestions. I don't, I don't know. There's a, a John claude Van Damme movie called The Bouncer. I've never seen it. I'm not recommending it. I'm not suggesting we should do it. I'm just saying, <laughs> technically, it fits the theme better. <laughs> I mean, we can make it happen, Doug. <laughs> Now, you were in charge, and this is what you've picked. <laughs> I, I mean, do, do you do you want to take the chance of a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie that nobody knows anything about? I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you that even by Arnold Schwarzenegger's standards, Raw Deal is objectively absurd. <laughs> but is it at least fun absurd? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine, then. It starts, the movie opens with Arnold Schwarzenegger as a small town sheriff chasing a guy in a motorcycle through like a, a logging place. So the guy's like riding his bike on top of the, on top of the like stacks of logs and shit. Doug, we're already doing the movie. You don't have to sell it to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's the best I could come up with. Because I looked and I'm like, there's got to be some other like movie that's similar. And what kept, kept popping up was Roadhouse 2 direct-to-video sequel made 30 years later. Yeah, we probably probably don't need to watch that. No. No, no, no. So, we're, we're doing an Arnold movie, a Patrick Swayze movie. All right. It's the best I can do. I, I didn't feel like it should be this hard to come up with like something to team up with Roadhouse, but apparently it is. Well, I don't know. You could have done another, another Terry Funk movie. But we already did Over the Top. He must have been in something else. <laughs> you think so? Let's find out. Maybe we'll call an audible. I don't know. Terry Funk, actor, Roadhouse. Um, oh, man, they're counting all of his wrestling appearances. Oh, that's hard to track. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Uh, yeah, best of Monday Night Raw, Shotgun Saturday Night. If anybody remembers that show, one episode of Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan. Oh wait, he was in Rambo Three. Oh, just did stunts though. I guess that doesn't count. I mean, it could count. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, doesn't matter. I don't know if we're going to be able to find this movie, but I think we're going to be walk- talking about Time Stalkers. What? It's a TV movie. Scott McKenzie, a history professor, becomes involved with two time travelers from the year 2586 after making a discovery in an old photograph from 1886. Wait, and this has Terry Funk in it? It says it's on his IMDb as an actor. It's got Willem Devane, Lauren Hutton, John Ratzenberger, Floss Kinski. It's a made-for-TV movie as well, which is great. Yeah. James Avery, the dad from Fresh Prince. Danny Pintaro, the kid from Cujo. What is going on with this movie? Oh, my God. Okay. We're totally doing Time Stalkers. I haven't even looked if we can find it yet, but I'll work my can, magic. If we can find Time Stalkers, then... Oh, here, it's on YouTube. Well, well there we go. Oh, it's on Amazon Prime here in the States, so... <laughs> I didn't done even check. and done I didn't even check legitimate sources I just went straight to YouTube <laughs> I'll check I'll check if it's available legally here too before I watch it on YouTube maybe uh, yeah Time Stalkers Terry Funk is a bearded cowboy <laughs> it's his official title <laughs> it's the movie he did right after Over the Top so it came out in the same year Bearded Cowboy. Uh, oh, we did Paradise Alley already, too. Forgot about that one. Oh, yeah. All right. Time Stalkers. I already, is, updated, I already updated the list. I got to change it again already. Is this is this whole conversation part of our podcast? Or do we of course it is. Do this segment? No, <laughs> of course it is. This is all part of the podcast. Viewers love being part of the process where, where, where we decide halfway through our final segment that no the episode for next week's not gonna work we gotta change it up <sighs> so it's both a swayze september movie and a tribute to terry funk episode yeah. <laughs> good lord this is gonna be brilliant this is probably gonna be a movie that noah's gonna be like in love with and we're gonna end up hating it <laughs> god see i'm glad you said something Oh, yeah, no, this is exactly how I wanted this to play out. <laughs> this is your plan all along. <sighs> Fantastic. All right, Time Stalkers. Dealing, dealing with time travelers. Uh, this is actually something we've done in the past where we're trying to pay tribute to an actor, so we do a, an episode starring movies with a different actor. In it. <laughs> I think That's it was true. When, it was when Bill Paxton passed away and we did a Matthew McConaughey episode. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Uh, uh, oh, Terry Funk's listed as a director in two wrestling, wrestling videos. Well, okay, yeah, the wrestling videos. FMW Yoka, Yokohama Deathmatch. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and he also did stunts on Rocky Five. We could we could do a Stallone slash Terry Funk like double feature. A Stallone double feature where Terry Funk did the stunts. Yeah, but we have to watch Rocky Five. Oof, that's tough. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a rough one. <laughs> but we also get to watch Rambo Three. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if he blows anybody up with an explosive-tipped uh, uh, bow and arrow in that one, but... They play a weird game where they, like, use a dead sheep as the ball. Mm-hmm. Is that the same thing? Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.